You're listening to Work Human Radio. And here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another edition of Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. My name is Mike Wood. I am your host. And earlier this week, you heard part one of our two-part interview with Tom McMullen of the Corn Ferry Hay Group. Well, guess what? This episode is the second part of that interview with Tom McMullen. In this episode, Tom's going to talk about pay and equity and also the return on investment with recognition and why that matters. So strap in, buckle up, and get ready for another great episode of Work Human Radio. I'd say the, the biggest trend, Sarah, that we've seen in the last two years, two to three years, has been on um, pay equity, uh, particularly around gender pay equity. Um, and, and that's been probably driven more from a changing regulatory environment than, than anything else. So there's a lot of organizations that are taking some real um, significant steps and making sure that um, they're looking at it and they're making adjustments as needed. Um, and then, you know, what we yep. just mentioned on, on recognition uh, programs, you know, I think there's been a sustained um, track record um, uh, of, of effectiveness with more and more companies I- implementing uh, recognition programs as well. Yeah, in fact, uh, so Corn Ferry Hay Group did a study with Global Force a few years back looking at the business impact of recognition, which, you know, this is related to what you were talking about. You know, people are, are C-levels frustrated with not getting a lot of return on investment with the base salary increase. So you know, Global Force has been talking about for a while the impact of recognition. Like if you shave off some dollars and invest in a recognition program, you know, you get amazing results. So what are some of the main takeaways from that research that we did? Yeah, um, I would agree. I, I think the pendulum has really swung uh, from, you know, the, the old notion of recognition, you know, we'll, we'll celebrate and recognize you for being a member of the team, e.g., you know, seniority milestone awards, that kind of thing, to be much more uh, performance focused, um, uh, business strategy focused, um, in align with our, our values. So I, I think companies have, have recognized that, you know, if, if, if we really want to get the, the message that we're all about, you know, pick a topic, customer intimacy, innovation, operational excellence, that what better way, maybe the most direct way to kind of couple those priorities is via a recognition program. And you're right. I mean, we've seen recognition programs kick in. These are relatively lower cost programs versus, you know, the incentive or the base salary program. But, you know, more and more organizations are seeing much higher upside uh, value opportunity for the cost of those programs. So um, we've seen um, a clear trend with organizations um, implementing those programs primarily to transform the culture of the organization. Um, it, recognition systems are very practical ways to make that come alive. Um, we're also seeing organizations use the information coming from the program. Um, who's, who's being rated more frequently? Who's being recognized more frequently? Who's doing the recognition? And then also incorporating that into their talent management processes, their performance management, their, their assessment processes, that this is another um, very robust set of input to identify uh, key talent uh, in the organization. I think the other thing that we found in, in that research is that um, while it is relatively a lower level in, of investment than other um, compensation investments, that 
organizations are typically, we saw a tipping point of about at least half a percentage of payroll that the organizations that report the most significant um, uh, results and in, in the highest level of effectiveness of these programs tended to be um, have investment levels in the recognition programs at least at a half a percentage of payroll. Gotcha. So it's, it's really not too much in the big scheme of things, but you get a lot of uh, return on that dollar. Yeah, absolutely. So to go back to your comment on pay equity, um, you know, I recently was at the uh, SHRM conference and, you know, the, the Total Rewards World of Work conference, and this is definitely a hot topic. Um, where are you seeing the biggest pay gap? And, you know, what's the risk if a company doesn't take action to, you know, start to resolve the pay inequity in their organization? Yeah, it is a very hot issue. I think within the U.S., it's a hot issue primarily because of the shifting regulatory environment, not at the federal level, but there's a lot of activist mm. city and state. So, you know, recently, uh, California, New Jersey, Massachusetts, New York City, and there's there's more in the queue, have been passing uh, new legislation. Well, they all vary a bit. You know, there's been some common themes. Um, statute of limitations has been broadened. So in some states, you can only uh, go back two years for equal pay for equal work um, um uh, violations now. Some states are pushing this to six years. Um, there's punitive, um, higher level of punitive uh, damages. There's more um, accountability and responsibility on the shoulders of employers versus employees in terms of showing the evidence that um, you know that they're complying um, with uh, these regulations. Um, there's new definitions of protected classes. Um, the recent law just passed in New Jersey that started last week. Um, has 17 different classes of, of protected groups, you know, so it's not just gender and ethnicity anymore. Um, uh, so I, companies are having to retool not only their, you know, their, their executive handbooks and their reward strategies in terms of how they look at fairness, but, you know, a lot of them are having to do um, new kind of statistical analyses uh, to see if, if they have issues or not. Also, the... Um, Oh, the um, uh, banning the compensation history question on uh, candidate interviews. A number of states have been banning that. So uh, it used to be a pretty nice crutch to say, you know, hey, hey, Sarah, how much did you make in your previous job? Um, a lot of states can't ask that question anymore. And, and the, the impact is we need to have more buttoned up hiring ranges, uh, job evaluation uh, processes. Mm -hmm market benchmarking processes. So in, in terms of, you know, the biggest gaps, first of all, the, the pay gap, the gender pay gap issue can mean different things to different people. So in the U.S., it's primarily about equal pay for equal work. So when we control, you know, at the job level or the job grade level, do we have gaps? And um, so th there, there's that focus in the U.S. coupled with the changing um, regulatory environment. In places like the UK and France and Germany coming up, the focus is on the overall pay gap. So instead of kind of equal pay for equal work, it's really about, you know, when we look at all males versus all females, what's the delta in pay there? So it's it's both focused on, you know, how are we paying by genders, but one, you know, in Europe, it's much more a focus on the aggregate levels. And what we see in our data is that Globally, um, men tend to be paid 
about 18% more than females. If you put all males in a bucket, all females in a bucket, that, that difference in compensation is about 18%. In the U.S., that number is 21%. When wow. you, and, and that's largely a function of um, the, the, the distribution in, in work, right? Um, in, in every country, the reason why that pay gap exists is because you tend to have a higher percentage of males in executive roles and higher paying roles than females. There, right. There's also some differences in, you know, the STEM fields, which, um, you know, the scientific, the technical, the, the mathematics fields, the hard science fields tend to pay better than uh, the fields in the liberal arts. Um, and there tends to be more of a preponderance of males in, in those um, functions. But if you start to control that gap, that 18% global gap starts to, to dwindle down to about 6 or 7% if you control um, salaries at a job level. So, you know, if we look at apples to apples based on job grade or job title, that 18% starts to get down to single digits. When you further control on same function, same company, same job level, that 18% difference becomes about a 1.5% difference. So once you start getting to apples to apples, um, it starts to diminish. It doesn't totally go away, and some companies still have real issues, um, but it's less of an issue. Um, so, but the, the headline of you know the the eighteen twenty percent difference is very much true, but that's much more of a staffing distribution issue. And you know, I, I think the, the the big opportunity is to have more of a talent pipeline of diverse candidates. Um, mm -hmm available to take those jobs and then, you know, more rapid um, development programs um, to get those classes into uh, the more high paying field. So, you know, it's about diversity and inclusion initiatives. It's about career development initiatives. It's about broadening our talent pool. That, that tends to be where the action um, needs to be focused in companies. And, you know, in terms of the, the risk, you know, it, it can, a comp can an organization sit on its hands and not do anything? Um, it's becoming less and less of an option to do so. Um, and I say that because of the changing regulatory environment in the U.S., that because the laws are changing, each and every company is going to need to respond to those laws. And it's not just the laws that are changing. You know, I think societal expectations are changing. Uh, the, you know, the, the mindset of a millennial is very different than the mindset of a baby boomer. So, you know, I think the notion of transparency, fairness, putting things more out there that may have been behind closed doors previously, um, that definitely goes in the mix. Everything that we've seen in the media, you know, on the Me Too movement and, and pay parity in, in Hollywood between males and female uh, actors, I mean, that, that clearly goes into the mix as well. So I think there's um, societal pressure, there's regulatory uh, pressure, there's economic pressure. Um, so companies are going to have to respond at least from a regulatory and compliance issue. But what we're seeing is the best companies are also seeing this as an opportunity um, to do what's right and to enhance their brand and their, their value proposition. So um, we've seen in, in our research and in other research um, like Conference Board, Catalyst, McKinsey, that organizations that have more diverse senior leadership teams uh, tend to have higher financial returns. So McKinsey did a study where um, 
companies that have greater gender diversity at the executive level tend to have 15% higher financial returns. Uh, in Fortune 500 companies, women in leadership roles increased ROE and ROI and return to shareholders by about a third. Um, in our own wow. research, we've seen a, a two-time difference in our employment uh, employee engagement uh, results between organizations who have better diversity inclusion programs uh, than those who don't. So, you know, it's not just the right thing to do, the, the, the legal thing to do, uh, but there's also a business reason to do that. And I think um, that is, is becoming the perfect storm of, you know, reasons why organizations should do something. But, you know, in a lot of these leadership roles, we still have people from the baby boomer generation that, you know, haven't totally embraced the notion of transparency and are still kind of uncomfortable. You know, I don't want to rock the boat here, um, but they're going to have to do something. And I, I think the big trade-offs are it, companies that are doing something versus the ones that aren't uh, are, you know, the, the big payback is, you know, they're enjoying higher levels of trust in their leaders uh, they're enjoying higher levels of employee engagement, and you know, with, with some of the the references I just made, they're also enjoying better business performance. So, you know, th there is a business case to be made on this as well. Hey, everybody, Mike Wood here. Hope you are enjoying the show. Just want to give you a heads up that tickets are going fast for Work Human next year in Nashville, Tennessee. So visit WorkHuman.com to get your tickets now and all the latest news. We will be announcing some speakers in the next couple of months, but it is going to be a great time. And I hope to see you there. Now back to our show with Sarah and Tom McMullen. And when you say, you know, more transparency and fairness, I mean, tactically, is it having an initiative, like a very public initiative to um, ensure that pay equity or to fix any outstanding issues in that area. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, um, the notion of tr transparency is, is multidimensional, right? So there's not kind of a, a, a simple, easy button for that. I, I think that you know, um, there can be transparency at the overall kind of strategy and principles level, which I, I'm a big proponent of. I, I think that if, if the organization and its executives, um, you know, hold the notion of, of gender equity, um, equity by protected class, if, if that is um, a key principle, get the word out on that. You know, why is it a key principle for us? Why is it good for us as a business? Why is it good for us as employees? What are we doing about it? Um, I, I think, you know, Tell that story, and you will get mileage out of telling that story. It, it's got to be a, a true story, though, right? So you just can't have right. a bunch of hollow words. You, you've got to back that up with some some real actions. Um, the jury's out a bit in terms of, you know, at the kind of individual employee level. You know, there's still a conservatism. And whenever you deal with people's pay, um, a lot of leaders get very twitchy that, you know, there's still a, a number of them from the old school, you know, um, your compensation is your business, you know, you, you really shouldn't share that with others. And, you know, I, I think if you're, you're a manager, um, that also makes your life easy, right? I, I just don't want the distractions of having to deal with an open system where everybody knows what everybody else makes. So there is quite... Well, that actually um, used to be a law, too. Wasn't it a law that you couldn't share your salary back, you know, decades ago? Well, and that's well, just, I mean, it's unreal. 
unrealistic yeah. to think people don't talk about that. <laughs> you, you, you're absolutely right. The first company I, I joined, this is several decades ago, um, had in their employee handbook, if you talk about your pay, if you disclose your pay to a colleague, that could be a grounds for termination. You don't see right. that language anymore. In fact, some states have passed, as a part of these pay equity laws, have explicitly passed laws saying that you can't be terminated if you share your information. Um, right, with others. right. So th that's, that's the reality. So, but there's still a lot of twitchiness um, with executives that don't want to go there. So, you know, the, if, if, if you receive an adjustment um, because of gender pay equity analyses, there, um, I would say still a majority of companies will not come out and tell you that explicitly. They'll, they'll tend to couch it under, you know, hey, Sarah, we, we did a review of your pay relative to the market. We looked at your performance relative to others, and we looked at general fairness concerns. And, you know, we're going to give you a, a 5% increase this year. You know, the, the average for everybody else is two and a half. And kind of, you know, couching those messages in broader terms um, linked to performance and market and fairness tends to be the theme. Um, I, I, I think employers get nervous, like, yeah, hey, we gave you a 3% gender pay equity adjustment because relative males were seeing your low paid. Uh, companies don't want to go there. They don't want uh, to reveal that there's even that gap. What, what, what they're willing to reveal is we've got process at a high level, at the macro level, you know, strategies, principles that we look at it, we've got a process, we make adjustments as necessary. They're a bit more reluctant um, at the individual employee levels to get into the weeds on, you know, what, what the specific uh, amounts are attributable to, to what. And I'm, I'm curious, too, with all these new laws coming about, um, do you see that HR departments even have the resources to continuously be analyzing and uh, this data and making sure it's all fair? Like, do you see a lot of resources there, or do you think that's like a new a function area within HR? Uh, it, it's, it's tough to be an HR professional these days. Um, you know, HR budgets are, are not going up. Staffing levels are not going up. Uh, HR is being stretched in any number of different directions. This is a, a new challenge slash opportunity for HR. What we're seeing is, you know, at a minimum, they've got to be compliant um, with the new regulations. So they, they need to do what they can do uh, to become compliant. Um, we see a lot of uh, HR functions working with their either internal or external legal uh, function um, and also getting some analytic support. You know, these kind of, these pay equity analyses tend to be equal parts um, uh, statistical data analysis, legal issues, HR issues, change in communication issues. So, you know, all those capabilities don't necessarily sit with, with one function. You've got to bring together a, you know, a, a team of people to be able to look at this. So whether that's kind of a, uh, a cross-functional team within the organization or supplemented with, with external resourcing, um, that that's where we tend to see the HR function uh, resourcing this. Well, it's a fascinating discussion, Tom. <laughs> oh, there's, yeah, it's, it's never boring uh, in, the, in the world of, of compensation, that's for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on uh, Work Human Radio. Enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for having me, sir. I appreciate it. Work Human Radio is brought to you by Globoforce, pioneers of the Work Human Movement. 
Globoforce helps make work more human for millions of people and organizations worldwide. Learn more by visiting Globoforce.com and join the Work Human movement by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Work Human Community Forum on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to Work Human Radio.